Mr. Sandman, bring me a dream. Make him the cutest that I've ever seen. Give him two lips like roses and clover. And tell him that his lonesome nights are over. Sandman, I'm so alone. Don't have nobody to call my own. Please turn on your magic beam. Mr. Sandman, bring me a dream. Good evening and welcome to Nox Mente. Tonight's guest is YouTube live chat staple, Kalendal. Kalendal, how the hell are you? Uh, I'm good, Jerry. How are you, man? <laughs> Told you it was going to be a bad, Hey, Kalendal. <laughs> yeah, that was like the briefest, briefest intro ever. We could call it, you it's know, like Kalendal's like the body of work that we can refer to. I understand that. Yeah. It was still, he's like live chat guru, live chat troll um live chat comedy live chat insightful uh i didn't want to be mean wizard no but all the all of it philosopher is what came to my mind yes he's definitely a philosopher student of philosophy well it's really great to finally have you on kalindal you were kind of we'd marked you to have you in the beginning i don't know how it ended up being this far off however you are here now it's all good. Uh, I just think I wasn't dynamic enough for Jerry. So no, yeah. no, no. You you went on a little walk about there for a while. Last summer. But you were always on the list. That's Absolutely. you were. At least my list. Yes, that's look, what's important. Look, you're on before Gordon White, so that's saying a lot. I mean. That's probably due to his schedule. <laughs> yeah, this is a scheduling thing. Don't let Hermes it wasn't. get you a twist there. <laughs> All right. The Mercury Gatorade. The Mercury, Mercury Gatorade. Gatorade. Jerry, you should just like lay that out for everyone right now in this beginning chat section. I don't think it's worthwhile. But, um, I think it's I quite telling, charming. It's I, the zinger. I saw a lot of people today in... A few live chats who were bitching about things breaking down around them or or problem this and that and blaming mercury retrograde and i saw one person even said it like four times in one paragraph and i think we should re refocus that energy at something for the good so i told everyone to say mercury gatorade or at least think mercury gatorade when they they want to use retrograde with the intention of directing the energy back to you or possibly the Coca-Cola Corporation. So, <laughs> you know, it's a fun mental exercise too because it makes you think about your actions before you start bitching in a live chat about how much your computer sucks. Because that, that spreads like a virus, that negativity. And if, you just, and if, you're, if you're pointing it at mercury, mercury retrograde, then you've got this boogeyman built in your head when it's really got nothing to do with that, maybe. Right. So. And and the, and everyone seems to forget that Mercury retrograde is actually wonderful, and it's just a time if to. You're born under it, right? Well, I'm born under it, but also I see it as a time to edit, right? Go back and edit through stuff, uh, reorganize and rethink, and look at things that kind of went askew, and 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 dig into them deeper in this time it's just slowing down yeah. really it's like a, it's like a pause mindful. it's like a pause yeah. in time 
don't sign that contract. Take a pause. Read through it really well. That you know that kind of. It's like, it's like when a DJ goes. Yes. Thank you. That's very right brained. I love that, Kalindo. On that note, though, let's let's get into let's get into this this little pool of mercurial goodness. So, Mr. Kalindo, tell us about young you and i think we're looking for things that more so than tell us about things you love from your childhood or things that stick out or even things that terrorized you it doesn't have to be relevant in any way only to you well gee it's a huge question um i had a pretty Sweet childhood. I was one of seven kids, second to last. And I had a stay at home mom and a basically one job dad. You know, somehow we made the bills for all seven kids and then on his one income. I'm not sure how. But um, I, it was a pretty beautiful childhood, to be honest. I mean, my Siblings, you know, pissed me off quite a bit, but um, like when I was about 14, I was able to just wrap myself into World of Warcraft and kind of really get an escape from the home life, even though I was like right there in the home. Uh, I didn't like school from like the fifth grade on, so I didn't really apply myself in school, but somehow managed to graduate. Um, and I've always been a, a pretty deep thinker. I would say kind of profound things. Like uh, people were talking about some kind of like something about like mass, like the greater good type thing with the masses and what you would sacrifice. And like I would make a like a little speech about how taking even just one drop from the ocean is taking one drop from the whole ocean or something like that, you know? And people would just think that that was profound for me just to think that way. And and I always tried to come from that angle because being one of so many kids, you know, there's a lot of people who want to speak and you kind of have to find your window and really find a way to make it count. And that was kind of something that from an early point in my life, like sitting at the dinner table, I knew was something like that I concerned myself in a big way with. Um, and that, that's kind of a really good window into me. Did you have a lot of nature time or were you in a city? So I, I grew up in a suburban city area and we would go camping you know several times and we had cabins up north in northern minnesota oh nice i love it up there yeah it's nice and um yeah that's kind of my exposure to nature i've always felt like an affinity with nature a real bond with it but not the harking desire to go out and just be in nature other than the fact that i'd like to be far away from like the city so that I don't hear cars sometimes. Like I would like that. That's kind of hard. 
What what city are you in, if you don't mind? Uh, uh, Denver. I'm around Denver in Colorado. Oh, oh, nice. That's quite a difference from northern Minnesota. Yeah. Definitely different big nature, but big nature nonetheless. Mm-hmm. So what about, so the school thing, why didn't you like school? I don't know. I, I just felt like it was so bullshitty. <laughs> like they'd, send, they'd take you for basically the equivalent of a parental work day in time. And then they'd send you home with work to do there. I mean, some of, I would like, like if it was new information, I would like take it in, process it, try to understand it. Like I would always be able to pass a test, but I just never did homework. Um, I mean, I'd fail some tests, you know, but I'd pass probably over 80 or 90% of my tests just because of what I would retain from what they would say, not really looking into any of the content. And I just kind of, I just didn't like it, how I didn't feel free. You know, and I and I thought it was kind of like not very smart way to get a kid into a a working position for like a career. You know, like there's a whole lot of unnecessary stuff going on in school. I think so. I didn't like it. Were you were you bored? Uh, I mean, in some dimensions, yeah, but in other dimensions, I was greatly stimulated you know so i mean it was it was a positive experience on me i just i just (laughs) was not playing the game the way they want me to play it you know yeah oh yeah i I do know (laughs) did you how did you get on like socially with other kids uh good i was a loner but everyone usually found like the intrigue to like invite me into the circle of sorts and we'd find out that I'm just like usually too individual in my way of thinking to really kind of like keep a long lasting bond with most people or most cliques or most social circles for that matter. Um, Because you know people people like people to agree with them and I actually like to play the devil's advocate quite often even sometimes without me knowing I'm doing it so Yes, I, I actually enjoy that about you. Do you, okay, so this, um, actually that brings me to your horoscope stuff. What can you tell us about that? What do you know about your horoscope? I've looked into it to a pretty good deal. My sun sign, Capricorn, rising Virgo, moon, cancer. Um, I, I'm pretty drawn to, I think it's my 12th house placement with Jupiter which is supposed to be the like <laughs> it's like some demon it's her dog it's her puppy that's yeah. the, the rustling <laughs> around is funny um, it's a higher consciousness thinking i think is what the 12th house is or whatever house that that one is that's where i have jupiter placed and which is the sign of expansion uh, i really like the virgo rising the, the perfectionist and to be having that 12th house placement with a rising Virgo sign, I feel like is something that makes me kind of unique as a philosopher because I have my own kind of Virgo-esque 
perfectionist way of handling consciousness and philosophy and and the way I work with ideas and ethics and morals and spirituality that it's um it's something I kind of want to actually staple myself with in life you know to be known as that but it's you, you kind of have to make your mark with you know like your effort and you know I'm trying to figure out a way to do that now but um what I've found is you know, just genuine self-expression, you know, coming from like a very genuine, natural perspective that is you is one of the most magnetic ways to to speak and to be a good speaker. Well, you said Cancer Moon, right? Yeah. And that's, that's exalted because Cancer is ruled by the moon and that's your emotional nature also, which is... Um, I think lovely considering the right the Virgo rising, which can be a little I I admire Virgo energy because it, it does it's all about refinement and um getting those wills really greased up so things work well and all that instead of just the critical negative, all this other stuff that seems to get pinned on. So I like this kind of watery emotional side to you, which I have also noted in some of the interactions I've had with you and that I've seen with others. It's a nice balancing ground. I see, so you started World of Warcraft, which you cited as something that was kind of in that significant thing at the age of 14. And so I'm curious as to, because that's just, a, it's kind of witchy and sci-fi and fantasy, not sci-fi, but fantasy. Um, were you, brought up with any kind of religion yeah my my parents were roman catholic and i, I kind of made that assumption with seven kids child <laughs> but i wanted yeah. to make sure <laughs> yeah but they weren't like strict you know and they just took us to church and tried to adhere to like that kind of thing and that really annoyed me so um when i was 18 i i could stop going to church and i did did you okay so in let's talk let's talk church for a minute in um the things that actually annoyed you about it were and so since you're roman catholic which i think is a beautiful ceremonial religion by the way um i mean there's nothing like midnight mass um <laughs> i love it all the in a cathedral in a proper cathedral with hope, all the singing and the incense how can the eye would be better than midnight mass <laughs> Are you serious? I have had amazing experiences in cathedrals for midnight mass with a proper chorus section billowing around, incense so thick you're gagging, and Latin being spoken. It it, it addressed something in the the magician side of me that found it deeply moving. So, what what about it did you not like, Kalindal? Well, uh, first off, I never attended Latin speaking uh catholic mass but i think i would have respected that a little bit more because i the language of latin is more i think intellectual in its structure and makes a little bit more sense um but I, what annoyed me it was the inconvenience to my time in actually enjoying my life you know <laughs> and it was you know, taking out time from my day to hear about this person who basically saved my life without even 
really being there to save it in that way, you know, I just, he's, he's supposedly responsible for a lot, a lot of ways of living that I should be thankful for him forever or more for. Uh, and maybe that's true, but it's, it's still kind of like ringing someone over your knee for doing them a favor. And, and that's not what I think is very Jesus-like about the whole, you have to go thing. You know, I, I think that Jesus wouldn't really give a shit, honestly, if you went to mass or not. And um, that's just me. So when you, um, yeah, and that's, that's why we're, it's, it's, this is your show today, baby. Um, that's why we're, why you're the man. Um, so when you were able to stop, I, I guess, where are you now with like spirituality and religion and all that, that big ball? You know, I still don't have a definitive form on it. I don't think I ever will. I don't think if. I did, it would be healthy for me too, but um, I've recently kind of connected with some really deeply spiritual experiences, some of those through hallucinogenics, but I've, I've seen basically like what it would be like to have infinite potential reality where everyone is Jesus and everyone is Satan at some point or another, like your soul basically lives that expression that is jesus or satan and it kind of like equalizes everything in creation that way to think about it in terms of interchangeability like that component that's what makes you a good um, D player <laughs> how so jay i don't i don't see what you mean because you you know there are other possibilities to every situation so oh, yeah. you at least ponder yeah. them when we come into when we get into those proverbial paper bags. Man, I miss playing, dude. I just work two jobs now. <laughs> Last week we played like three nights in a row. Oh my! Just ping in and say, "Well, I want to play." I'm Feld. will always play with you. So Feld is always there. Literally, for you. and you know, biblically. <laughs> back to the show so so tell us about okay so i, I want to still i want to linger on your earlier younger life um do you have any outstanding or i don't know the outstanding story do you have any dreams or outstanding warrants? liminal yeah let's get into your legal stuff now um mm -hmm. liminal stuff so possible you know daydreams that have you remember dreams night terrors strange occurrences from your childhood i'm going to get into some of the strange back there i've got tons of dreams i've got from your childhood from all over <laughs> I, i've got well, of dreams. so I, let's in specific look at your youngest earliest uh dream that you have in this in the real stick out stuff like maybe the scary stuff or stuff that seemed very um sci-fi or odd aliens all the weird so i have always dreamed in recurring patterns pretty much from what i can remember um they're cyclical they seem and my very first recurring nightmare was and i've only i pretty much only have nightmares or 
sex dreams, which have a dark overtone. Um, and basically the first one is me trapped in a cage, suspended in like a, a skeleton animated corpse haunted castle, you know, keeping guard. And I would like slip through the bars, uh, knock out when I hit the ground, go unconscious and wake up back in the cage. And that was the dream over and over. There was another. How? So that was a reoccurring dream. How long into your life did that continue, perpetuate? I'd say that dream reappeared for maybe three years. Two to three years, maybe. And what would that age range have been? Like five to eight. Okay, cool. Oh, carry on. I thought you had more. Yeah. And so right after that dream kind of like broke the surface, I started to get a few more. Uh, one was like a dog biting my pant leg and I just couldn't shake it off. And it was only for like a flash. You know, it was like a two millisecond experience, but it was just the expression of not being able to get this dog off my leg. Uh, another one was like this yellow, hazy, haunted void land you know where it's just like this circular space and there's no edge or end to it in its own way and there was like this demon-esque like barbarian kind of thing you know standing at least three feet taller than me and you said demon-esque yeah demon-esque female no oh demon-esque okay esque yeah uh and it would suck you by like yeah, it was basically like sucking out like energy through me by exploiting fear, you know, perpetually chasing me in this endless void where I could never slow down or find somewhere to hide because it was just this one shack, <laughs> you know, and it, there was no hiding in that shack, you know, it didn't have anything. <laughs> you, you sit long enough in that shack, he's in the room and there's no way you're getting out, you know what I mean? So. You're just running endlessly around, or I was, you know. How, so, okay, these, and this was, this was after the age of eight, these, when the dog biting started, after you got out of the cage dream. Um, yeah. And then how long, and how long did these continue? That one, I probably had like two or three times. Up into this cabin with that demon-esque being. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Did you, so in the fear aspect of these, were they, how much control did you feel you had in these, first of all? I mean, obviously the only control that I exhibited, you know, to run or to try to escape. Okay. And um, did this, has this demon-esque character or figure at all continued into your adult life? Uh, yeah, I, I kind of had a dream that was reminiscent to that same exact one when I was about like in my early 20s, like 22, 23. 
Ooh, 23 is interesting. And was 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 it, did it work out differently or were you still in a, a space of it was, it had the control? I almost feel like it actually killed me in this one. Oh. I feel like, or at least seriously wounded me, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, It was like I I built a log cabin in this wood area, you know, after I like, (laughs) like like in a video game, if you defeat like the end boss, like that was like the rebuilding period, you know, that was kind of like the reminiscent effect of where I was in this dream. And just like one, like, sunny day in the summer, you know, not too long after it happened, this dude reappears and like ransacks the home, whatever that means for me to have that, you know, it could mean I had a family or, you know right. what I mean? And, and like, I feel like, like a giant, like slice was put into me, you know, a mortal wounds of sword in that dream. Did you okay? So, and all right, I've got. I'm. I actually write down all these details. I don't know if anyone actually knows that, but that's what happens. So these weird little notes. Um. Okay, so moving back into the earlier, earlier back in like that dog biting, back to this demoness thing when it was actually appearing more. Did in this period of time were you having? any kinds of um lucidity or out of body sleep paralysis stuff um i i did have one dream where i was in the schoolyard around the same age time and i like flew like superman like like really easily like it was normal and then i was like shocked and amazed and tried to do it again like immediately after and I was completely unable to, like, I couldn't re-spark that ability at all. And I also had a dream where I was trying to run one way down a soccer field, and I couldn't, I couldn't run past the midpoint of the, of the soccer field. Like, it was just redirecting me, like, as if there was an invisible barrier. And this was all in that school that I was going to. Uh, around that time and I've had one out-of-body experience when I was younger I don't know if it's even close to the time I was having these dreams but it was just like five to eight feet up um, from behind my head I could see myself and everyone else around me like very clearly and then I was back in the body the second I realized how profound the experience was how old would you say you were when you had that? Under 10, over 5. Oh, okay, that's that's great. And the fact that you, when you realized that that was happening is what actually pulled you out. Yeah, it's, it's always what it is. Like when I'm dreaming, I realize I'm dreaming, I'm out of my dream. Oh, still to this day? Pretty much. It's, I think just like... What is conscious awareness of the physical self? Yeah. Like when I start to get that sensation back, like I have a really strong ability to focus my my attention. And I think once I notice that I'm noticing it, 
then it really just like boom, comes in like right away and then the dream's gone yeah it's it's super that's super common and and for me as well that it more often than not even still um okay so and and then i want to in this little section i want to talk about your experience because I know you have these um, with psychedelics and um, this, I know you have good stuff to bring to the table with that little avenue of thought and consciousness and altered states. Like, um, do you have any questions specifically or? Well, I, I'm, I'm actually looking for experiences. So it doesn't necessarily have to revolve around what, what have you done? What psychotropics have you done or anything like that? But what profound experiences have you had regarding altered states of consciousness? Uh, and, and then what substances they're in, are, they're kind of secondary in a way that aided that process. Sure. So I'm looking for the real standout stuff. Okay. One time I was taking acid. This was like the first time or second time. And my friend was, he said, he's like, this is going to bring you to the tip of consciousness. And I was thinking of an electromagnetic universe and what a crest would be like in terms of frequencies and how what the lysergic acid could be doing is somehow literally like magnetically being filtered through your brain in your blood-brain barrier. Um, and it, it somehow has this momentum increasing effect, I think. And that's why it takes a while to ride up. And uh, I also had a moment where I visualized what I believed was the crystal of the LSD I was taking. And what was funny was, is I, I didn't even try to mention it to my friend, but he kind of like, he kind of noticed like this look on my face. And he asked me exactly that question. Like, did you by chance just witness what would be the crystal form of, of this, this here LSD? And it just like blew me away. But I wow. had viewed like a, a geometric structure like the, the outline or in like an imaginary way and you know it's um i just think that it basically raises the frequency of your thought and it opened me up to a lot of what i consider is like parapsychic phenomenon and uh you have to be receptive and magnetically strong enough to actually have these influences and i think lsd helps you get there when you're not really i don't i don't know i think we could totally get there without lsd i think we're probably inhibited by it but uh it's it's something i've never experienced before you know and yeah, I, I do believe we can get to these states naturally, but we also we have we have substances um, and natural substances that shamans have been using a very long time, and then modern ones as well to get us there. And um, no matter what, I just think the experience of it, it, the actual experience of stepping out of your vessel 
in a, in a, in a profound way that opens the universe is significant. Do you have, um, so you didn't really, you kind of gave us your idea on, on LSD and not really an experience outside of the LSD crystal having visualized it. My dog's coughing. Um, what, like, take us through a really crazy trip you had that, you know, some highlights. The craziest one is where I thought, like, the spirit of God itself was, like, jumping into myself and people around me. <laughs> and it was, it was a Christ-like story where I saw, I saw Jesus as, like, everybody. I saw how I could be Jesus, how this girl I was dating could be Jesus. And I mean, like, didn't just, like, kind of like see it and think about it. like I full-on fucking believed it was real like and people thought I was like really coming apart and it's it was I saw the holy like the holy spirit as like this embodiment of spiritual energy that was so hot that when it possessed you that you had to get rid of it as quickly as you could because it would drive you insane to have it and oh wow then, um I saw it as like this pass the torch type of concept and how it was actually the moving spark that resonated a baseline of love throughout conscious individuals on spiritual realms in order to, I mean, I, the experiences I had, you know, I saw the devil in the TV talking to me and it had like this deadly serious, I will like, I'll take your life type feel to it. But it also had this like, but it definitely isn't time yet. And like wrapping its arm around my shoulder in the darkness, you know, and it was, was like- Was that tied to the devil on the TV or was that a separate experience? Uh, that's, it, it, it all kind of happened several times. Like it, it was almost like they were just reintroducing themselves until I was being familiarized. Because mm -hmm. at first I saw the devil on TV and I was scared shitless, mm -hmm. was, you know? And then, and then I saw, the devil opened its mouth, you know, and hand over me like the Grim Reaper, you know, but whisper sweet nothings to me and tell me how there was no way he was going to take my life today, mm -hmm. but, you know, and it was just bizarre because in a way I was always begging for death at that point. And there was a few moments where I was actually believing I might die and how I didn't want to die. You know, that was a very spiritual experience for me, knowing that I didn't want to die in the light of thinking I could actually be killed. And one of it was like that devilish kind of way. But then another one of it was, you know, people. I was in a situation with people and I saw this man sitting to my left as Jesus, clear as shit to me, definitely was Jesus. <laughs> you know, he came from his spaceship. I picked him up. but. Brought him to my friend's house. I had actually seen him before. I did not know it. I don't know why I picked this guy up that day. But he was actually friends with my good friend. And he's like, I'm going over to this guy's house. And I'm like, oh, here, I'll drop you off. I go up there. Next thing you know, I feel like I, if I got up and left that room or tried to do that, that he was going to kill me. Because I knew something that he was up to that would violate certain things. You know what I mean? And Do you recall what that something was? I mean, there are elements to this that are real and I'm not going to get into. 
because it's like actually real. But yes, no problem with that. Uh, but there are elements of this that are also spiritual, you know, and I, and I thought that this man as Jesus was someone I had to confess my sins to. And I was like deadly afraid that if I didn't, I might have to like get killed that day because I couldn't even confess my sins to Jesus when he was actually in front of me. You know what I mean? Like I was like, and it was, to me, it was a matter of, at that moment, it was a matter of, one of the philosophies I have is people die because if they didn't, there wouldn't be enough kinetic energy to keep the universe moving. Or there wouldn't be enough fear and love resonance to keep a, a never-ending, perpetuating reality moving. So It almost sounds like batteries. Yeah. So I saw this man as Jesus, and he's, he's asking me basically to confess my sins or and find the love of God in Jesus that day or be killed because I'm not going to be able to resonate enough love to validate my existence any further or fear, you know? And that was like, it felt so real. And I was, I asked him, like, should I confess my sins to you? He's like, no, no. And then I felt like I didn't even have to do it. Like truly, like it was like immediately. And then the way this scenario ends up is they're like talking about going on a pleasure cruise <laughs> and it's triggering the shit out of me. I think they're talking about like going off somewhere, killing me, dropping the body off <laughs> and then taking my car and, you know, chopping it up at a chop shop. Thanks. That's dark. Yeah. <laughs> and so I have their pizza and I'm like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll bring the pizza down to the car guys. I'll, I'll be right down there waiting for you. I, I like dip it down to the car. We can just drive off, you know. Oh man, I was terrified. They're like, "Where'd you go?" And dude, I told them straight up what I was thinking. I was like, "Dude, I'm paranoid as shit right now. I think this is what's going on. You guys just need to keep away from me because I could lose it right now." I'm curious about the spaceships you mentioned earlier. With this, what? Oh, spaceships yeah yeah um well one time i took my contacts out and i thought it was like it was like god's gift to me to like scar my eyes so bad that i'd have like this interdimensional vision because i don't see anything i have like stigmatisms with both eyes and i saw planes flying overhead but their their lights were so distorted by my vision that they actually looked like spaceships especially because I was tripping on acid, I was having like hallucinogenic visualization. They looked like no shit spaceships. <laughs> it's like making regular um, centuries, you know, like, every, you know how frequently planes fly in the same few airwaves if they're, like if you're close to a landing strip? Yeah. Well, I was. And, the skylanes. And there was tons of planes. Yeah, I was, I was just seeing a bunch of planes go by, but I was convinced it was all part of this this experience I was having where the spirit of God was inhabiting people around me and um, they were kind of like monitoring it in a way. Making sure that no one dies. <laughs> I find I find it I find it significant. Have you okay, so in non hallucinatory states have you had any 
strange experiences with seeing um, UFOs or any of that kind of stuff? Uh, I see shadow things. Sometimes I think they're people. Sometimes they're just like a flicker of like a emotion. Yeah. Like emotion. periphery or straight on? Like always peripheral. And mm-hmm. I think it, that's actually a signal to that it's interdimensional. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. And um, I've never really had any UFO experiences. When I was in a plane once, I thought I saw something that was kind of in a course and location of the sky that was not typical to see another plane moving in. That's about it. Okay, so let's let's talk about the general dreamscape that you experience these days. So just the general, the way, the general way, the way I phrase it always is what is your usual means of dreaming? Color, black and white, you know, the whole thing. Do you hear sound? Just your general experience. When I'm really dreaming, it's color, sound, full on theme. You know, there's, there's always a big theme going on. Like, uh, typically medieval, you know, I, I'm typically dealing with swords or apocalyptic situations. And I mean, one of the recent ones even had like a enormous frost dragon in it, you know, and undead armies. And, you know, it was very uh, Game of Thrones-esque, you know. <laughs> um, another one, I had this very vivid sensation of like actually cutting off a dude's head and then like a I did like an assassination to steal his helmet and sabotage his other friends. And it was like that moment of cutting off his head. Like it was too real feeling, you know, it it even, it almost woke me up. It started to make me really realize I was dreaming. I couldn't hold on to it very longer, very much longer. So you were like on the edge of lucidity there. Yeah. Yeah. It was, like the dream was kind of like evoking it for me by creating such a strong feeling. Mm-hmm, right. I think sometimes that we, whatever, whatever it is, what mechanism it is, um, constructs outrageous things or odd offbeat things so that we do get the cue that, wow, you're, you are here in this other space and you can be aware. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was profound. It was a profound um, experience of lucidity. I've I've had a few other actually weird incidences like that. One where I fell into the bed, where like I felt like I was falling in a dream, and actually the way I landed in my bed really made me feel like I just fell into the bed. You know, maybe just the way the body moved was like so perfect to stimulate it. Um, and I also one time was fighting a gigantic spider and it bit me in my ankle and when i woke up i found my left foot balancing on my right foot where my toenail was digging into the part where the spider had bit me and it created the physical sensation and pain of a spider bite that radiated through my dream wow that that's good that's juicy actually um on that note with those, um, hold on, I'm having dogs to fly on. Oh, Lord, I want to look at that 
Um, oh man, I took these notes and my dog ran off with them. So I wanted to look at the sleep paralysis and it's not, you kind of give, were giving us a little bit of a hint of it with that, the, the astral body or whatever that is, your energetics that fell through, that's kind of, that's like classic stuff. Have you had full on sleep paralysis where you were in vibrating mode or um, unable at all to move your limbs or vocalize? No, but I have had um, what I would consider something symptomatic of something like that, where my eyelids haven't even popped open, but I'm feeling very aware in my body. And uh, that's about it, though. I don't, I never had any terrifying event, like I couldn't move and I wanted to. Well, it doesn't have to be terrifying. Actually, some people are not not terrified. Like we had Rin Rin Collier on, and he's he just rolls with it. That would um, terrify me if I was really trying to move <laughs> and I couldn't. Nothing phases Ren. That dude is. Like yeah, Ren's a powerhouse. But I will, I will say, I've always, still to this day, when I experience paralysis, and I intellectually understand what's happening. But it doesn't change the factor that I'm going through the process and um, I'm terrified because I can't move anything and I'm screaming and yet I'm not being heard. And I'm in this, you know, I'm in the in-between and I'm, I'm not sure. Um, there's, a, there's a terror to it, even though I know. It's like being buried alive in some way. It's very similar, and I heard someone recently talking about about maybe associations with paralysis or claustrophobia, because paralysis kind of there is this feeling where you're stuck in this small space, like you're, it's before or after you're you're able to like expand and drift out, so you are just kind of stuck. Yeah, I've had a claustrophobic moment before. I was playing hide and seek and. I put myself in a linen closet where I couldn't reach the door handle to get back out. And uh, I just instantly freaked out and started like freaking the fuck out. Do you think that has anything to do with um, possibly past lives? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, it, the dream. I mean, I, I've got many dreams where I'm in prison or. I'm on a planet that's doomed, you know, or it's already desolate. And I think that that has a lot to do with past life experience. Um, I have a whole array of dreams that are subsequent of me, like, leaving a classroom because I think they're teaching, like, propaganda, you know, for the forces of darkness. So Interesting. I, I, I just, I just like travel worlds forgotten in a spaceship, you know? This is why I like to get this early stuff because this ties into the, the character you built of yourself early on. And so it, it's pulled through. Why don't you give us some of these interesting, more interesting, it sounds like they're all interesting by the way, but some of the more standout dreams in in recent history for you and um especially interested in dreams that might 
have a prophetic feel like they could be you're tapping into some collective something or other that could play out in waking life well that whole leave the classroom subsequent dreamscape <laughs> journey <laughs> um basically i'm basically starting off traveling like complete wasteland planets and then I find some with life and I find one with like this ocean with sharks and squids and like monstrous sea life so thick in the waters that they're almost, they are thicker than the water. There's more of them in the water and they're like teeming up over the water's edge and I have to cross them for some reason. And I'm literally stepping on like the heads of sharks and like squids and octopus. And like <laughs> trying not to get bit or maimed on the way through, um, and then I find this this wasteland planet where there's like this one guy, and for some reason I want to say he's Asian, even though I don't know. <laughs> I just think of him as Asian. You can say he's, he's Pan Asian. <laughs> he's one of the Blue Asians. Uh, yeah, blue you guys are funny. I, of course, think of one of the Asian immortals, one of the Chinese immortals. That's where my head goes. I just think oh, of Asian yeah. fusion. And uh, I see him as like this adversary of sort, someone who can like stand on equal footing with me, because he's like, out here, obviously surviving on what appears like his own, on this abandoned outpost-looking place, and. Uh, there's like an unspoken bond formed there but i leave that and i'm stranded in a spaceship that has like no power and it's like floating through space forever until i end up on this this wasteland planet uh where there's like a few people alive and like i spark this love interest with this it's not even the same species alien but there's like reminiscent, you know, human-esque factors to her. And it's like- Very this, Captain Kirk. Yeah. <laughs> it's very like underground, um, underbelly of the world kind of scenery, you know, run by, you know, non-stately types of people. And uh, there's like a, an overthrowing of power structure and that all turns to shit. And then I'm back on earth and I'm, I'm with one of my exes, but one of my naval captains <laughs> is like, he's like meta melded with a spaceship and it's flying through the air. And his head is like the front of the spaceship. And uh, there's a bunch of, you know, army or Navy people on there. And they're like looking for us, you know, and, and I almost feel like the Navy is trying to like redraft me, you know, in, in like a future. <laughs> A doomsday scenario. So wait, were you were in the navy at one point in real life? Yeah, that's interesting. And I've I've got I've got to put this out there. Um, in the navy, maybe. I've got to put this out there. The melding, the guy that's melded with the ship, this immediately strikes me as a sentient ship, like a, an AI ship, mm -hmm. or or a bio. Um, like the ship Captain Mark Richards talks about that is sentient. And, you're not talking um, about the Philadelphia experiment, are you? 
No, okay. but I'm talking about the ship name Minerva, okay, right. and um, it I I just really struck me. And so, and then you come out. I didn't know this, and we didn't get this in the little intro about yourself um, that you were actually in the forces. So, yeah. uh, this is intriguing to me. Have you seen? Have you had any of these other other dreams tying into that kind of imagery where the ships? And people have blended, or um, where there's a sentience going on. Hmm. The off world stuff is very intriguing here. The sentience with the ships, you mean? Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, that's that's the very first time in my dreaming that I, I have that, and I think it's the only time that I have that. But and that I, was your captain, right? Yeah, one of my old captains. Yeah. Interesting. We used to call him Iron Mike Haggerty. Yeah. Well, it's it's still it's just if we look at that as a symbol and maybe strip away your conscious mind's identity of him and look just look at that. That's intriguing. And then the fact that you have these off-world. So you mentioned off-world stuff a couple times. Is this a reoccurring thing? Yeah. Yeah. And it's always, does it always have this certain um, feel to it? The way you're making it sound has kind of a seedy underbelly. Um, yeah, it, it's almost like it's barren and what little you do find is generally contaminated. So, you know, with like different levels of corruption and fear or lack of, you know, what is good. And are you usually like, um, I don't know what the terminology is for military people, but are you usually like a cadet or are you usually in service in these or is it you as like a free agent now as a, as a layman or whatever you call? I would say like I am my own captain always of my own journey, my own ship, my own person. And I'm in complete defiance to like structures of authority. In okay. just about every circumstance in my dream. And I Which, almost feel like a, a rebel starter in a way. Mm -hmm. Well, this sounds like you anyway. Like that, this yeah. is, we could have opened up describing you in that way. <laughs> yeah, I guess. So I'm not surprised there. Um, I, I want, I'm interested in more of this off planet imagery from your dreams, if you have more to share. Yeah, um, I don't want to go over anything I just went over. And, and within, within that context, um, with other beings, so, and which you just described that when I made the Captain Kirk comment, um, other types of beings, if you could give us some descriptives around what some of these look like and all that. I mean... Jeez, that, these are distant dreams. That, just kind of like your atypical variations that you'd find in movies, you know, like green skin or metal, uh, you know, some species that have like this only ever wear armor mentality and they're humanoid or like gigantic or uh, some 
you know, also basically just regular humanoids. That was who my adversary, my adversarial person was like this human. That's why I want to say he's Chinese because he's, you know, he could probably be like a distant incarnation of like the original species of Chinese people from a different, you know, corner of space that was cross-pollinated on Earth as the Earth might be an experiment, so to speak. Yes. Um, yeah. Um, now I'm I'm aware because you gave us this already, but you know you were playing World of Warcraft at 14, and you're front loaded with this kind of sci-fi fantastical imagery. Mm -hmm. But your earlier dreams before that were also pretty fantastic. So it's there. It's, it looks like it was there before, but yeah. of course we can't separate all that out. All the the World of Warcraft and modern stuff and especially in the chat rooms where you are you're, you're oh, definitely aware of all this stuff in my early childhood right around the same time i had those first dreams i told you i had a very powerful dream that i forgot to tell you about and that was i was under water like a lake bed um, but it was like perfectly clear water you know and there was desks arranged like six by five and a projector screen in front of those desks. And on it was my mother's face, or a video actually of her. And she was saying to me, you don't have to breathe underwater as long as you know that knowing you don't have to breathe means that you won't actually have to. Oh, I love that. <laughs> it's and that was like that was so crazy <laughs> you know and i couldn't even tell my mom this you know I, I i don't think i ever told her i had well it's it's telling yourself to get to, i mean there's so many messages there but one of them is that the process is is going to happen no matter what and you don't if you let it happen it will happen instead of telling yourself you don't have to breathe yeah and that knowing just knowing actually getting to the place of what is knowing yes means that you won't like that's what is like this law of attraction trick lever thing and you know, it it came to me like that in the dream, and it was so. Because you know, I've always wanted to do something supernatural, and uh, that I think is the core and in, in the essence of what makes magical manifestation possible. And and you haven't so thus far. I mean, it seems like you're right there in what a lot of people would call the supernatural soup. Um, well, I mean, you swim in all these waters that are, you know, we're, we're talking about these things. And um, you've had a lot of, of deeper perspective through psychotropics and a, a very active dream life. Um, 
you had, and on top of that, actually, which was nice, this is a stabling aspect, but you had a stable family unit you came from. So there's, I think that that sometimes plays in favor mm. of, um, say, when we're talking about psych, psychotic snaps, I think that that is one of the balancing factors that keeps keeps people in the in their little safety net which is which is a good thing ultimately i suppose um <laughs> well because we have to function and so it, it, i mean we're all participating in whatever this is and so it's it, i mean the ones on the outskirts as always are you know, the madman that has the secrets and all that, we still have those, we have those, but you came from a stable upbringing. So anything extra, that's a world shaking event. These things happen through the courses you you've already given us through psychedelics and through crazy dreams, through, through gaming, which is also a portal into opening these pathways of image and symbol. Um, so that's fascinating. Let's get back to modern dreams. So have you had anything that you felt was totally prolific, um, prophetic? Like you, you have had the dream, you feel like it's going to play out. It may not have played out, but you have something you're, you feel like it would, or it could play out in an alternate timeline, anything like that, that felt like it was more than you uh maybe maybe three or four dreams ever and two of those might be daydreams and fantasies that i just uh constantly pay energy to well those those count too because the whole show is really about consciousness so do you are you able to share yeah yeah um uh one of them is a End time scenario where the Messiah-like personage is, and it's not me, I'm observing someone, is they like shine like a ball of light, they fly up into the air, and they do this explosive light explosion that's almost like as intensely and as large as the planet itself, which does something within the consciousness of all people. And I don't know if it maybe like psychically binds them or does something that wakens them like to all their past lives, maybe both. Um, another one is where I'm like sucked up onto a spaceship and I'm standing at like the feet of greys and reptilian-esque type aliens or extraterrestrials. And they're basically giving me like an ultimatum uh, which I know where one option means more of them and and what they bring us, or or the other option means like uh, fighting for it on our own, you know. And um, I was like clearly choosing to fight for it on my own, but or like it was kind of like they were interviewing every person on the planet, kind of spiritually. And they were seeing like what people wanted on a in a consciousness level. They didn't necessarily like bring them physically. They can just you know they can throw these waves out there and see how they land with people. I think 
And uh, uh, basically, I feel like I was being coerced, you know, and like intimidated and almost like I was bound to the floor, like I couldn't even stand up in front of these people. And uh, those two, those first two, I think, are daydreams, but they could have been dream dreams. When, how long ago were they? They've been coming on and around. This, you know, they kind of resurfaced over the last like five and ten years of my life. You know, they, they popped up and then they revisit here and there. Okay. And do you see like the the first one with the exploding sphere seems with, you know, I think I think of like that galactic wave that Paul Laviolette talks about mm-hmm. and um, and then some of this stuff that they're talking about with the event and all that, um, it, you know, there's a, there's a certain thread that's, that's right well, there with that imagery. You climatics and you have like an increase of frequency, uh, it, it redesigns the structure in a way where it's more integrated and it's more complicated. So if if what we are is an expression of frequencies and higher frequencies come and blast us, well, through the theory of co-resonance, they'll actually like pick us up. We'll, we'll ride with them a little bit. We'll, we'll be picked up. And I think that it'll have profound impacts on the levels of thought that we can even think in. You know, and when we start upgrading what terms we can think in and we see how they integrate below as well as above we start to see people do like n times the 144,000 type stuff yes absolutely this and so and then coming into this other one that um with the classic extraterrestrials which you know i consider always the classics are like always reptoids and grays um and whatever they may be you know that's a that's another show we're talking outside of outside of all that um you when you were saying you were strapped to the floor and feeling coerced what do you what did you mean by that coerced towards an outcome they wanted or so they're giving you a choice but they don't really they're not really giving you a choice they're giving me a choice but they're like intimidating me to not choosing the choice they want trying to like show how difficult it would be like let, let's say like that's real like let's say it's reptilians and grays asking us like you guys want to be without us are you sure you want to break up and you don't want our technology contracts with our ways of you know hicksos that slavery and other bullshit with the government you sure you don't want this anymore look at how tough it's going to be without us and then then I feel like I was being loaded with a bunch of emotional, uh, psychical data to try and like coerce me, you know, to, to, you know. Yeah, I get, it's a very clear picture you paint there. And they were doing this on a mass scale. I feel like, yeah, like, like all they have to do is like throw it into the field of consciousness and like people will, integrate with it at whatever level they do and i think because i was sensitive enough i was able to kind of like introspectively witness what was going on in this level and this 
this could just be like um uh, a person a personage a personification of a concept you know like may, maybe there really is no extraterrestrials but maybe the question is seriously still that real you know as if that situation was like that but maybe it applies in a different way a more subtle way so i, I think it's right yeah i mean we could collectively be you know there could be a whole collective fear net that we've ourselves generated that is manifesting through say the reptilian mm. filter right and, the and so and the mantids yeah. and all of that you know all of that in, in this control list, you know, without control trajectory we're on, like towards 5G and all this. There's um, this guy that Miles Johnston's been uh, interviewing named Mike Emery, who, who says that the, the, the reptilians, all the aliens, all that stuff are things that we created to distract us in here, in this con construct, which I thought was mm -hmm. an interesting perspective. I, I'm really digging that perspective and just because there's a there's some sort of it plays it hangs on my logic rack, if you yeah. will. Yeah, it's it could a, be the thought itself, you know. It's like a subplot to the whole scheme, you know, the whole story, but there's this crazy subplot with aliens and only some people are in it in that you know, like on that quest. <laughs> the ones with the talk to aliens and are involved in the secret space program and all that. That's what I think. It's interesting. Well, okay, so let's talk, let's have a, let's have a little chit chat on this for a minute. So, um, yeah, first half's over, by the way. Yeah, I mean, we're, we, and, but we're, we have this new, this is our new format where it's more flowy. Um, and there's no, no real parts. Anyway, um, Kalinda, what do you think this construct is? that we're in. So Jerry just mentions the construct, right? And, and we're having a conversation about us collectively, our collective fear playing out in ways that are presenting reptilian and all this uh, mantoids and all that within this construct. Well, what do you think the construct is? I think the construct is like, an electromagnetic expression, like a spark, uh, that has been kind of like really amped up to an incredible degree, you know, an unimaginable extent from where we stand, where every possible expression is expressed. And I think that the, the human part the human experience part is one of the most interesting parts of it. And it gets some of the most concentrated amounts of conscious attention from what is consciousness, which I think is all that exists is consciousness. It's like the, the sphere of thoughts or like the sphere that holds thoughts and the, the realm. Like how can your imagination actually give you a visual image that you retain? You know, like, how does consciousness create reality? And I think that they're just, they're two of the same thing. One is on a lower degree 
of electromagnetic energy, and one is on a very high degree. One, the one on the high degree is created by what you could call God, or like the AI that runs the matrix. And the one in your dreams is just ran by you. And so it, it's degree of, degree of clarity and um, succinctability is dependent upon your vessel and, and how well you've maintained your thought and, and how they integrate with reality. And um, the, the reality that you live in is maintained by, you know, the most high, like the, the perfect AI being or the, the very creative force of energy that has created everything with a conscious intent to do it. I, I think that it, it kind of got sucked into its own creation on accident. But I think that it also kind of like went with it. And uh, because I, I think that that's why there is so much suffering. It's, it's an imperfect situation. I think it was focusing on creating a reality, you know, at the dawn of time. And when it created it, it took a part of itself that it probably didn't anticipate. And so it's it's unable to like directly interact with it from the outside. But it's also a part of it on the inside suffering through it, you know, like running through a cheese grater, you know. But it also is like seeing what's on the other side of being able to grow and expand this reality into a really high frequency expression of itself. So it just keeps buckling in and doubling down and like doing everything to, to make reality infinite and unending and something for everyone. So when you think con so at the beginning of that, you you had made this correlation between consciousness being a, uh, a realm of thoughts somehow and i i wonder that struck me as limited and and then everything you said from there was not and so i think like the principalities of thought right and how that's just one aspect thoughts are one aspect of consciousness and they're of course they're an important aspect because it's it's where we are finding ourselves able to overlap um and uh where we can analyze and find anomalies and then start questioning further and then however evolving out of that and that whole process is there more to it though well i was gonna i was gonna say if you could think of a thought kind of like a, a stare could there be something that's like a stare beneath a thought and a stare above a thought and different all the way up to the top never ending like for it to be an infinite universe then the, the scope of what consciousness is and could be would have a lot of different gradations to it i think and like i think rocks have a consciousness i think there's a consciousness expression that you could tap into as a person and you would feel like what a rock kind of feels like even though 
there's really no feeling for Iraq. I don't know how to put that. I heard something amazing about Iraq this week. I wish I could recall it. But I, I agree. I, th I think everything's kind of an expression of consciousness, everything we experience. Um, and so, you know, of course, rocks, especially crystalline substances, um, including water and all that, you know, and, and now we know we're seeing that water is programmable because of the crystalline structure underlying it, silica and all this. Um, you just kind of triggered me to this thought, you know, and this is one of my major governing thoughts in magic here. Um, you know, like how old timey people would get obsessed with like a chair and it was like a regular production chair, like this pretty little wooden chair, but it's almost like it was their chair, it was their favorite chair. The chair hadn't fallen apart on them. It was dependable. It always was there. You know, and they developed this bond with this chair and they don't let other people sit in it. They sure don't let people disrespect it, right? And I think that it kind of like creates this integrity, like between the object and reality. And it kind of imbues it with this magnetic quality that makes it stronger, more durable. And like, like it does have a life of its own. Like it is like, oh, I'm being appreciated in this reality construct. Like I'm going to stick around. I'm going to be a character in the story, you know? And, and I think that kind of like what I was talking about with the rock or how your whole reality is possibly just consciousness somehow creating a really powerful cross extrapolation between positive and negative electromagnetic energy and just oscillating at trillions of times a second and you're you're like flickering through it you know catching quantum mechanical you know possibilities and you know interacting with them and kicking off with them and catching more and but i think it's it's more a little bit more personalized than that i think it is interact withable I think it's kind of like a video game, but the best video game you ever played. I like, love like I, Roy, like Roy. <laughs> well, yeah, it's it's Roy. It's Roy. <laughs> yeah, it is Roy, bro. Totally Roy. I don't know what Roy is, you guys. <laughs> it's an episode from Rick, uh, and Rick and Morty. Yeah, you you, you could tell it. Go ahead. Uh, it's you put a video game headset on and like it totally like takes your consciousness into the story of this character named Roy, and you live a lifetime in probably like a few minutes, and but you you can it's just life you know it's you can take it any direction but and your score is how many years you live right? I think so yeah. Mm -hmm. Rick takes it off the grid because he knows how to hack reality basically. <laughs> Pretty much. There's there's some funny things in that that particular one they go to uh like a dave and busters in another dimension called blitz and chits and yeah. that's where these games are in this game rick just sits morty down and says put this headset on and like jams him into the game he's got no idea what he's doing and he wakes up being you know he comes into the game being born out of a woman that's what your first memory is and he lives a whole life yeah. has a heart attack was he have a heart attack or i don't remember what happened yeah, he, he, leave, he leaves work and then he goes back to work. He's a carpet salesman, goes back to work to the carpet store. And when he comes out, <laughs> the, the people watching him play are mocking him, going, I can't believe you went back to the carpet store. Dumbass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And wow, that is like, profound, actually. 
Yeah, they make it seem like the range of life you can have is really is actually kind of generally in this lane of experiences. Like, like everyone considers going back to the carpet store, but you shouldn't. Right. You know what I mean? Like, could, why is everyone ending score. up in the carpet store in the first fucking place, man? Exactly. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> and the other funny thing was when Morty takes the helmet off, he goes, where's my wife? Yeah. <laughs> like, he's still yeah. in the mindset of that game. It's like waking up from a dream going, where's my family? Oh, my God, what a my job, dude. It's a great episode. I'll try and find a preview for everyone. I, yeah, and definitely send that over to me. I like when you... Um... It's in our special place. Oh, cool. I like when you used the chair for the like the old person, and um, I think that there's a a lot to be said there. With I like old things, and it's not just there's a lot of reasons, but the main one of the main reasons I like old things is because of what I call the patina, and not the physical patina. Yes, that's beautiful too, but the vibrational patina, and I can tell that something has been had a lot of energy over time over whatever time is you know and um you know chairs where the arms are really rubbed and that this the person's genetics are in there and you know their their oils and their cellular information mm-hmm. moved into the wood or into the marble and um and it's always amazed me when i look about look at relics um sacred places and sacred things that billions you know millions or even thousands or even hundreds of people are all projecting on sacred energy and touching it kissing the feet Mm -hmm. of a statue or rubbing a stone or praying to how much mana how much energy how much energetic patina builds up and um wouldn't that be karma, just, in a way? Is it karma, Jerry? I don't know. No. Talking about I don't see it as karma. Residue, not buildup. I don't know. No, just like... Yeah, a, I think mana was a good term, I think. Yeah, I, I do too. Which one? So, mana. Okay. And, and so that's... I just wanted to springboard kinetic off... Kinetic energy. Yeah, it yeah. is kinetic energy. And that's why I wanted to spring, uh, Kalindal, was off of that and with your your opinion on on that in in context to these to these things that we collectively agree on at least not necessarily you or i but lots of people particularly in 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 religion so the sacred stone the sacred saints that statue this place the holy grail what are your thoughts on on these things i think I think they all have some tie back to extraterrestrial exposures that a very simple race of people are filtering the experience through and they like they just they do whatever they do to uh, appeal to their experience with that exposure to high level extraterrestrials and uh I think that I think that even the like the the story of Jesus may have originated on another planet. I think that 
that story is actually probably written about the very first planet of incarnation for real. We're like the very first people that ever existed, you know, and it's not on earth. That's what I think. I think okay, I have, I have like two, two questions with that. Where do you think we are now? Like, what do you mean? Where do you think we are? I mean, I guess we, we, we're agreeing that we're on planet Earth, right, as a collective, yeah. but, and that we're having this experience, but is this really what's going on? Like, are we... Are we dreaming? Are we elsewhere? Yeah. And this is just like us plugged into like the Rick and Morty show, you know, are we, we have a headset on and a virtual reality? you know wrong we are i think trapped in a daydream not trapped um we locked ourselves in <laughs> to a daydream <laughs> I think can you elaborate i mean I'd sit on those words for a second because they do a damn good job i think we're, we've locked ourselves in to a daydream or someone okay. else's idea of a dream, or someone else's idea well, of a dream, possible. It's it's co-relative because we're co-creator. We're all, yeah, we're all fragments of spirits within this one greater spirit, you know. So before anything existed, there was nothing, and the desire to have something from something, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. it created it through its own imagination but if it stops distracting itself with it it loses all its progress it has to start over so it continually locks away like the secret of reality from itself what so happens it to all the beings that's trapped within its dream or are they even real are they just dreamed they're aspects of itself and therefore are expressed in his own interpretation of the experience. Yeah, I don't. His or her. You don't like it? I don't like the idea of one thing that. That whole concept of it's an entity that dreamed everything that is in our world in this realm. It didn't dream. Like, imagine if you could, like, imagined it visualize. visualize something yeah and not just actually visualize it but it actually like takes form in front of you like does physically. it i mean it's pretty much proven well, through quantum mechanics that matter does not exist well then what's the state of non-existent matter that you're actually interacting with what's the difference between the matter you're actually interacting with and the immaterial aspect of your thoughts you know like the interchangeability might be there if you can kind of shed one right one right well that's that's the whole you know age-old question what is this just a projection you know that and we yeah. think we're touching it but it's just a our brain imagination of a very high form of consciousness but then to keep it projected it puts itself into it 
And so part of itself experiences it from the inside out. And then a major part of itself experiences it from the outside in. As a collective and, or as individuals? Well, it depends where you're standing from. If you're on the outside in, you feel like it's all one collective. If you're on the inside looking out, you're an individual. I only don't like it because it doesn't match my model. <laughs> and, and the whole idea of like an overlord just bothers me to, to, to know. There's no overlord. No overlord because the only thing that it can do to interact with you is like corroborate with your reality. It, like it, it presents itself to you as your reality. Your circumstances are your relationship to this thing. I don't know. It kind of flies in the face of, uh, you know, your reality is a reflection of what you generate, what you put out. It's exactly what it's talking. It's, it's just so solipsistic. That's not necessarily solipsistic I mean, because if we're in a, a co-created space, um, there, solipsism doesn't work there. Maybe in a tiny space. You're, yeah, you're right. But it's, I mean... Look at a kaleidoscope. How many different like center points within a kaleidoscope are like kind of co-collaborative, and they're they're also different hemispheres by which things rotate around. You know, mm -hmm. I understand. I know. Well, you you'd mentioned earlier um, about so you've mentioned a couple times, but I didn't. I wanted to look at this again. So you're talking all of this stuff, and then you were talking about like the ET presence is separate. So I, I guess I'm curious, where are you in that? Where do you stand with that whole ET presence and other, other, otherness? Are they machine elves, the spirit world? What do you, what's your take on all that? Yeah. I think the ones that we do want to mess with don't want to mess with us because we're like the, the bastard cousin that is like, completely uneducated and uncivilized compared to them. I think the ones that do want to mess with us want to exploit us. And I think that they all have technology beyond our wildest imaginations. And I think that they can operate beyond our reality like easily transcend time. And so you, you may go wild, I think, without having any interact with your reality. And then you may have a war break out on your doorstep, you know. I don't know. I I think that I think in all likelihood, extraterrestrials are very real. Do, do you have a okay, so in this, do you have a sense or idea? of um d does anything ring true to you with say like the the reptilian agenda as it's come forward which which looking at ancient cultures and stuff is very much part of of our there's a history there we've got statues and cuneiform and and you know, Yoruba stuff, it's out there. So do you, what do you think about like specific types of extraterrestrials or inner, what is the exo and, and uh, these are, these, these stories I think are all saying they're from here. 
whoever here is. If I mean, they're all saying they're. From here, that's good. You back? Is Killendo? He dropped, is, I think, for a second. Okay. I thought it someone, was just me. Someone called me. I'm sorry. It's all good. Um, Dude, bra. So what you were saying made me think that maybe Earth is the first planet where life took course. Maybe we are it in kind of dealing with trajectories of life forms that have like resonated out and back to us as a means of their own spiritual journey and their own conquest for whatever they would get out of something like that. And I mean, you could probably think of a few, honestly, but maybe not. And I mean, I, I really don't pretend to know certainly what's what at all when it comes to this stuff, but I have a few good hunches. And I'm not afraid to, to you know, <laughs> put some money down on it, you know, because in time things will become evident. Um, this is why I like you. And then this is why Jerry and I do this, too. We're not we're not looking for a dissertation with, you know, that's hung up on scientific method. We're, we're just having conversations about what yeah. you think. And what do you feel and possibly backed up by any experiences you've had via altered states of consciousness, like dreams and out-of-body experiences, daydreams, weird memories that you can't place, all that. And so to kind of kick off of what you were asking about again, um, what I would say specifically about those people tying it all like back to Earth is that... Um, it, it makes perfect sense from the level that you're going to accept the Bible or, you know, parts, major parts of esoteric uh, spirituality. Uh, it, it, it's, a, it's a good logical way to look at it, and it ties a lot of things together. So it's, it's a natural conclusion to come to, but I... I just feel like it would be a more realistic galactic federation scenario if that wasn't the case, because if it is the case, these would be abstract components of, of time, you know, our descendants coming back to us and then trying to liberate us from our own bullshit. And maybe that creates some kind of co-resonation throughout time that improves the quality of life not just for us, but for every offspring that ever came from, you know, planet Earth throughout the whole of time. You know, I mean, that's a very, I think that's a very like heaven on Earth kind of, or just heaven in the universe kind of thing. And I've thought about it actually on my own before. And it's one of the theories that I, I hold close but it's not my favorite because these these abstractions of time, you, you go back into a one universe in time, you, you just open up a new infinite timeline, basically. So it's not like that necessarily is going to correspond to my reality. Maybe that's true. 
maybe it's just true in a different reality. You know what I mean? A different timeline, one that, or maybe they do have the technology to hand select my timeline. And then if that's the case, they could only really just be looking at one person at a time because it's not even about the planet. It's about the individual, you know, and that's a major thing in the spiritual thing. They say, oh, you haven't experienced it yet because <laughs> it's you're just not ready for it. Obviously, you haven't, you know, vibrated at the right level or uh, whatever. It is. Or, or your pineal yeah. gland's too calcified. <laughs> yeah. You know, like if you start coming about timelines, it gets really hairy for me. And I like to think there is just this one reality that we can interact with. And um, but if if it's parallel dimensions, infinite timelines, then Rick and Morty is uh, <laughs> it's a, it's an eventuality. You know, someone just literally like wreaking havoc through the cosmos, literally like disintegrating timelines or possibly himself being responsible for the unraveling of existence as we know it. Like could could one soul like really fuck it up for us all? Like we're like putting him through the ascension process and he gets this knowledge of like how the universe works and he like fucking just rips it apart. <laughs> like and then the vibration strands just like fall to ashes. There's no way to support it because he had the power of God in that one moment, not the ignorance to exercise it right. You know, like, is that possible? What do you think about? I don't, I, I put, I, it's in every show. And, um, and it, it's really not just about it, it's about, it's about, otherness so what do you think about death uh it's it probably feels like an instant from when you die and when you incarnate again oh uh, so you go like a machine you just move on through to the next i i think it's it's probably pretty quick i don't know i i mean it, I did a past life regression on somebody else, and they they said that about me. So, so maybe it's just the way I do business. But um, I feel like we incarnate for a pretty good reason. I haven't done anything in my life without good reason yet, you know. And if you woke up in a like in a medical facility or something like that, and you don't have any memory of what happened before. But you just pick up life from that point on and it seems to be going okay, you know. You still have that same level of trust with yourself that you make the kinds of decisions that put yourself in good situations. And um, either I was sent here or I made the decision. Uh, you know, and I, I don't remember being given the option between the two. But I know that everything I've been able to do, it has been a choice of free will up until this point. So it makes me feel like that had to have been the case before I existed. So I have a question on that. If you so assume we're immortal, we live forever and ever, our consciousness, and um, and we just switch out houses or body, you know, like bodies or cars, and you get the option 
to erase pretty much everything that had just happened or has happened in the past to start to have a, what feels like, in essence, a fresh start. Do you choose to remember and keep everything? And that includes the pains, the memory of pain, the memory of being beheaded, the memory of fighting, the memory of heartache, along with the, you know, memory of gazing off into the beautiful hillock lands and, you know, all this. What do you do? If you, if you get the choice, do you prefer a clean start? Uh, that I think that depends on the context. I, I bet you there are contexts where I would not want a clean start. I very much think of reality like a video game. So if you're trying to like really hone yourself as like uh, someone who like lives life and like has a a good philosophy, good ethics. Uh, they're successful. They get what they want. They're happy. To really exercise that and to get the most out of your self-development, starting blank is the best way to go. But if, you, if you're entering into a situation that's kind of stacked against you, then you might want some... some some backup, some, some extra oof. So I could see like environments in the universe where, I mean, just imagine if there are ETs, then there's a race of beings with, you know, telekinesis, uh, flight. You could incarnate as that, but then that race of beings is also up against the reptilian force and the forces of darkness itself. So, you know, uh, greater power, greater responsibility. You take things down to a smaller level, you can, it's a lot simpler. You know, like you play D&D and it's, it's very small figures. And the figuring that is done is pretty simple math. And everyone can kind of follow along and there's a make sense to it. So when you take out all the, the extra stuff, it's a little bit more simplified. It's a, and you can kind of get a more synaptic picture of things, like soul development, you could say, or just development of the self. Where do you see us heading, like in general, as a collective? I, I totally see us heading into like an intergalactic space society. And, uh, high technology, but then kind of battling it out and dialing it back to a more spiritual, uh, intuitive, you know, getting in touch with your higher self, people might say a lot, or God. Do you see anything... Um... So you you had so these dreams I asked you about earlier that were like daydreams that were rather dramatic. Um, do you see any calamitous stuff happening to facilitate um, this 
a sense of momentum yeah. into a better place or a higher frequency? Yeah, I mean, it's probably just so programmed within me <laughs> that I'm, I'm going to say, yeah. But I, I feel like the stress and pressure, you know, that's where diamonds are formed. I think that to see something like a messiah fly up, burst into a ball of light, I think that that would uh, require a pretty good deal of pressure, you know? Especially because no one's ever done that. What about, well, we don't know that, but what about like the whole, like cognitive dissonance with, with this kind of stuff where your mind blocks it out. So say that actually does happen and it's a, it's a real, like a, a physical experience. And because it's outside of the realm of believable plot plausibility you know we don't have suspension of disbelief with that um and not only that then there's this crazy stigma that a lot of modern society is you know glued down so say that happens something crazy and physical like that how does that feel how does that affect the collective? So would they just, would everyone just get an energy upgrade and, and work through it or, you know, and then there's the people that would actually possibly that are open enough to actually witness, you know, through our limited perceptive, um, you know, perception, the event as well. I guess I'm trying to get your ideas on how how it's going to play out after that that spark. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I kind of said before that people would like the frequency of not just like our thoughts, but even our time space reality is going to increase. And when that happens. The people who are intuitive or are of what you would call the 144,000, I think will first, I'm sure everyone will be able to do this stuff because it's just a matter of physics, basically, you know, leverages, understandings, interpretations. But I think what makes the 144,000 special is that they are really old incarnated souls. And so, the increase of frequency will basically restore Akashic information, what you could call that. And they'll basically be able to like intuitively know many different languages or uh, have a body-mind connection of, a, you know, an Achilles-like warrior um, type stuff, you know? What about the others uh, that are not in that 144,000 group? I think they're going to notice like traumatic or dramatic increases of certain perceptions, perceptibilities, certain abilities. They're going to get like little things, but I think like close to like over just a few years time, the 144,000 will probably get like legendary hero type bullshit. You know, like. So Jerry's talked about this a lot with his friend Z. Oh, I got a hot rodder outside. Um, and 
and I'm hearing about it more and more actually. So I'm, I'm curious. I'm curious. So it's the 144 thing. Is that a, is that biblical? It is. Yeah. But it's also, it's like, it's also electric universe. It's also the love of life. Is it Gnostic too? And there's Gnostic references to it. It's alleged. Yeah. I think the Bible says it's a number of, uh, uh, what I recall is it's a number of real souls here. Uh, I would call them uh, not real souls, but um, archetype souls. Archetype souls, yeah. Whole souls. How's that? Whole. Oh, it, there you go. Whole. Yeah, mm. I like that. And but then and I think I, that is it the the Gnostics who talk about the whole um, the sun being the monad and the hundred forty four thousand came out of the sun. Is it the same story? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the visualization I had on acid one time was Jesus standing in front of 144,000 pre-incarnated archetypal souls who are like the original beings to ever exist. And they didn't become whole souls until Jesus first became whole and then shared the light of God with them. And then they went through their own Christ-like journeys and became whole after that type thing. I'm thinking about that. No, it's interesting. Because in a way, I mean, that kind of ties into what I was saying for the story that I remember was that the sun was this thing that split up into the 104, but Jesus represents the sun in a way. Exactly why I said that. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, because because first he had to bestow it to his 12 disciples, and then, and, and I think it actually would work hierarchically, mathematically, uh, you know, like he would have to select the right 12 disciples for the cascade to, to go out throughout the whole 144,000 because I don't think he could single-handedly have taught 144,000 the way. Well, uh, yeah. You'd have to say that the 144,000 are all aspects of the whole, of the exactly. sun, of the sun, of yeah. the monad. Zero sum, oh, baby. Okay. Yeah, really. Yeah, right, Fractal. That would be Fractal Truth said that if there's 144,000, then there must be minus 144,000. And I would argue they are uh, what what uh, the Kabbalists Ooh. call the Klipoth, right? The Klipoth. Or, in the, Ooh, I like that. The husks, the anti people. Yeah. So if they're husks or anti-people, and, and what do you call them, Jerry, when they're not in the game, when they're NPCs? not? NPCs. <laughs> right. They all have their storyline, and you can interact with them, and they're, so they all seemingly are real, but, but they're not? Is this, like, do they cease to exist in this scenario? Uh, some would say yes. They go away. That's so it would the be like a, almost like a revelation, like a um, what is it, the biblical thing where they rise up, judgment. It's more like, like one hundred forty-four thousand would rise up, and then the rest are right. The, yeah, but it's not the game's over, and there's right. They fall away like the like dust, but uh, it's not like a rapture or anything. Right. Well, the the. What I'm saying is the rising up is like almost like a powering up into a new level. Is that correct? Yeah, I kind of see it more as a 
the everyone's vibration raise i know this is a hokey way to put it but everyone the vibration of the planet is constantly going up and up and they can't deal with it like they can't deal with that much energy so yeah that's kind of the way i think about it we're not going anywhere nothing's going to happen just people will die and not come back anymore that or um Nish said something that I, I used to say a lot. She, not exactly what I would say. I used to say the threshold of believability. And that was inspired to me by the double slit experiment because what it basically shows us is that the ability for our reality to be fixed or probabilistic is dependent upon whether or not we can observe it. And when you can observe something, you can certainly believe in it. But when you can't observe something, it's left up to chance or potential or possibility. Or it minds to fill in the blanks. Yeah. And so, like, if you could believe in something like the rapture, then certainly it may have already happened to you. If you could actually believe in it. But can we trust what we see, really, these days? Look at all the tech that's out where... No, we can't. <laughs> but people, you know, but you that's can't, where we are. We can't even trust what we read anymore. We can't trust the Bible to be what true. Is, what is not, that, not that I'm arguing that the Bible is true. People take it as a literal thing that, you know, this is going to happen. As prophecy, rather, is what I want to say. But what if it already happened, A, or B, what if it's really a playbook? <laughs> for the bad guys and they were just passing the message on in the future hey when you guys get 2000 to run this drill <laughs> you know that could all be encoded isn't that kind of what steve quail i guess it's steve clark la marzulli the guidebook of the supernatural which is what he calls the bible i believe but he he says it's for the i think he's on the like it's the good guys team yeah but he also but talks still, about watchers and anunnaki so. right well he's obviously bringing in enoch and all that but um, but it's still he use is postulating that it's it's basically a playbook, it's a guide. It can be both. It, it, you can look at it both ways at the same time because if time is truly a loop, if we're in some kind of cycle, then of course it already happened. Well, I mean, we're talking about forces of good and darkness, and I mean that's Those part are of relative the... terms. Yeah, that's part of the game of duality or mm -hmm. keeping things going, you know, back and forth. Um, are are we gonna are we gonna ascend to one new level of thinking and then just fall back into the game of duality, or do we really actually rise above it? Do we shake hands with our enemy? Are the reptilians really our friends in disguise? Are and they even real? Are they even real? And are they a boogeyman just, that we made up? Yeah. That's gotten so yeah, much attention and energy that they've fucking manifested. Yeah. <laughs> then that would make them real. Yeah. yeah, it would actually. Well, they'd be tulpas or whatever. But yeah, I know. I know. I don't know. I'm, I mean, I'm curious, you guys, where do we go? Where, where do, do we, we go, go from here? Where do we go? <laughs> Seriously, Jerry, you, and we've shown everyone has seen the tech where they're where they're showing superimposed stuff over people. You can put, oh, you know, yeah. there's that video of uh, of Bush, George Bush, um, that some dude is running like a puppet 
the, the computer's mapping yes. his face as I don't, yeah. And yeah. his voice and everything. It could be, and we can do this with anyone. And and then all the crazy narratives. How do we navigate this landscape, you guys? I don't know. I mean, we can't even be sure that our CNN hosts are real people unless you meet them, right? I, I mean, think navigation is simple, actually. Don't watch TV. Uh, God is love, and Jesus is the truth. And through the truth, you can get to love. Is through Jesus, you can get to God. And if God is what you love in your life, then there is no, like, no one would question why you should bend at the knee or at the waist in indignation for it. You know, like, you, you don't, pride doesn't get in the way of what it is you love. Aren't those programs, could those be programs, Glendale? <laughs> To, what, are you saying we're, we're going to shoot through the sun stargate to be one with the galactic center? Is that what you're saying? I'm, I'm saying if you just like live a life you love and have a lot of things you love in your life, then you're going to have heaven on earth and you're yeah. as close to God as you can get. Yeah. No, okay, that's, that's... I can wholeheartedly pull up to that. What do you think about the idea that uh, this existence is nothing more than a life review on a mass scale? Uh, I mean, I think that that's a pointless thing. I think, why would you review it when you could just live it again? I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it doesn't feel like a review to me, Jerry. It feels kind of like this is the real deal. We can't, like, t- we, we can't tell if... if we actually have free will. There's no way to, to prove to yourself that you have free will. What? I mean, what? And is it any more real, like when you write a piece of, of, of writing, you know, and then you go back and edit it. Well, your editing is as real as the, the first draft that you wrote. It's but, all just as... Right. And how, but how do you know you wouldn't have done that anyway? I think the double slit experiment shows free will, Jerry. I think it shows that the universe actually accounts for. Oh, I don't look at it that way. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. I mean, how are you going to look at it otherwise if potentials, which could range on both sides of the spectrum, are blitzing in, uh, you know, in, in fixed variants? Like, it's like getting loot from World of Warcraft. The, um, the but, double slit experiment's cool, and I uh, acknowledge its importance. However, you or I don't understand why that happens, and it is in that detail that kind of you know it's the next layer down. What what is interacting with the particle to make it observed and collapse a wave function? That it's not it's not just that to, to me, Jerry. It's the fact that that is what is happening that you can safely assume is happening at an even grander level. I don't. I'm, I wasn't arguing that. I don't think you can safely assume, actually, but I'm assuming that it, it could... Schrodinger's cat level type shit. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, All possibilities exist at once. I, under, I totally get it, and I'm, I am of the same opinion. I was just kind of like playing devil's advocate there. Oh, you, you bastard. You snuck it in. Huh? Not really. I mean, it's what, that's my job here. <laughs> Thought-provoking <laughs> questions. <laughs> so 
what do you think okay in all of this and um and this is this is actually more in when we're at the beginning of the show but what do you think the phenomena or the experience of um ghosts are and 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 not just the not just the residuals in time, like somebody did the same thing for 40 years and then somebody buys the house and there's that residual effect, but the ones that seem to have an autonomy to them. I think they're electromagnetic imprints or like overlays that are more natural to the space and time and what you're in. Or they have a degree of expression there that is noticeable in our, our realm. Do you think it's another dimension? Is it? I mean, yeah. it must be, right? I mean, think about like how we describe dimensions when we measure people's clothes. You know, people people say a dimension and they're thinking like another world, but but really, it's like another extension of what is present, measured out in a degree or in a direction. Yes. Yeah, that we don't yes. typically observe. Well, then that all starts playing into that whole, into, if we start talking math, then we start, you know, then we start having to look really at programmable realities, I think, because the math is there. The algorithms are math. Yeah, well, I'd say, like, the rubber band theory is probably, if you could merge the rubber band and the electric universe theory, and have them fuck and have a baby. That would be that would be probably what's going on in the universe. This reminds me. So you opened up, and this in my reminded, notes, reminded me of something too. Go ahead. Go, Jerry. No, oh, go, no, Jerry. no. Can, Mine's not relevant. Go ahead. I you hit open up. So you said you do have the sex dreams, and I'm curious about about your experience of sex dreams and wet dreams and all that? Um, I've never had like a full-on ejaculatory wet dream. Uh, I've just had like very scintillating sex dreams and I've had like, like two or three. One when I was like nine years old for one of my teachers and- Ooh, somebody's hot for teacher. <laughs> That's to shout um, out for Darcy. With <laughs> um, another one was with a girl I knew, and it was like we were not even people. We were um, ephemeral transmogifications of ourselves, you know. And uh, it was it was passionate, but it was dark feeling. It was like I was. I was being, I was losing more than just <laughs> what would be sexual fluid. You know what I mean? Um, it was like succubus, like. Yeah, that's what I was getting at. Something you're being fed on. Yeah. Did you? Were you enjoying it though? Yeah. Yeah. Did you wake up exhausted? I woke up uh, kind of like, um, like I guess. Your ass hurt, know. right? Your ass hurt. That's oh. <laughs> no. That's how my I felt. I was like, oh my ass! What did I do? 
You gotta squeeze that thing out. Oh, dude. I was like, I was like kind of like disappointed that I didn't finish, I guess you could say. I, I kind of felt shy to say that, but that's more where I was. Well, okay, so on that, and in this, in this little thread, what do you think about these kinds of astral entities that somehow hold a different space than, say, ghosts and ETs? They have a different feel and they have different mythology. Well, I mean, I, I had this one experience where I was really trying to figure out if I believed in God. And I had um, the visualization of a bunny-eared emoji offer me a handshake. And, <laughs> you know, like, it was, it was just bizarre. Because I could actually tell that it was kind of like beseeching my consent. So I offered it. And kind of like right after I do it, it comes in with, you are perfect. Um, and I get visualizations of like what God is like, basically. And it shows me a planet with people standing on it. And it shows me a blue liquid um, pouring up from the center of the planet and filling up the people from their feet. And it looks out of their eyes. And um, I, at the time, I thought, like, nothing of this. But as I looked back over this experience through time, I realized that I was interacting with, like, a form of consciousness that was giving me ideas. And whether or not they were the right ones or not, you know, for anyone to decide. But they were positive ideas. They were good ideas. and. Um, it just kind of when I, when they were telling me I was perfect, they weren't just saying like me alone. It was like people in general are perfect, and it shows how we're like. I was shown how we could be perfectly imperfect, um, and how like our faults and our mistakes actually like sum up or they play into the equation. In a way that plays out for the greater good. Did the perfection include hermaphrodism, hermaphroditicisms, whatever? I don't know what the word is. Hermaphrod. I mean, was it a a blended gender like, vision? No, in, yeah, of course it did. It was basically like there is no invalid form of life. I know, but you didn't see like Baphomet going, "Oh, I'm the perfect vision. I got boobs and no <laughs> dick," right? Oh, no, definitely. Oh, yeah, okay. No, I was not. Which would be cool. I don't care. No. I just was curious. <laughs> I see what you're saying. Is niche there? Yeah, I was, I was thinking it's my turn. Um, the thing you reminded oh. me of was uh, being born, which is, this has nothing to do with the conversation. It's just interesting. It might, might a little bit, but... Um, I don't know if anyone follows Tracy Twyman. She's been posting about um, this goddess Kybel. Kybel, I think it starts with a K. And how this cult of priests that surrounded her were basically castrating themselves um, on 
they would do this like ritual, this castration ritual that all castrate themselves because they believe they'd be the perfect form. And they, um, they would do this, whip themselves into a frenzy, of course, cut their balls off or whatever, and then party hard on this festival in Rome called Hilarion or Hilaria, which is on, on March 22nd, 322, which is Skull and Bones Day. I thought that was pretty interesting. Hilarious. It's hilarious. Yeah, it is. Like, a, like <laughs> but, a joke, maybe some higher form played on them, like, do this. And you guys will be cool. You'd have to listen to the whole video. She posted it today, but it, she was talking about how in a lot of the imagery from the Templars and that time period and whatnot, there was a lot of uh, worm or snake imagery. And she was suggesting that perhaps the castration allowed for a birth of sort to leave the person. Once they do it, then they birth this, this snake or worm which is like their, I don't, I don't know what it represents, but she was trying to work that out today. It was a really interesting kind of thought experiment, but um, the birthing reminded me of that. It's kind of got an Ouroboros quality to it as well. Hmm. That reminds me of um, a book I was reading where there was a religion of people, and I think there's actually like a Mayan culture that did this too, or one of them, that believed the more body parts they cut away, from reality, that the more parts of themselves was active in the spirit world. Well, that's an interesting thought. Because, like, you know how you have, like, the ghost limb? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Which, what was that like movie? They, okay, sorry, go ahead. I'm just thinking, like, they would figure that ghost limb is, like, they're moving in the spirit world. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. Well, and plus, like the tradition the Chinese have about burning the hell notes, the money for their ancestors to spend, and effigies of clothing and furniture and things they need. Right. Mm -hmm. This is a this is a, a very old tradition that's still just commonplace and and standard. And in, in any Chinatown, you can buy these things, and um, I certainly do, and I burn them to my ancestors. Um, and so. Whereas that's not cutting off a limb and then that limb's working in the astral for you or the spirit world, but it is still the idea of this is a, there's a bridge between here and there, right? And, and there are ways to get things from here to there or allegedly through, through magic and um, maybe active thought and all that from there to here information physical tangibilities mm -hmm. etc mm -hmm. that made me think of like ancestral consciousness and the way your dna might resonate with ancestors and how their thoughts may actually come through you or like their perspectives in a way you know no okay. yeah oh absolutely and well, we see this in a lot of um a, a lot of indigenous practices from different peoples, right? In Africa and in South America. And, and I think a lot of times peoples that are considered more primitive, which is intriguing. Um, so it's, a, it's definitely always been a call that I've enjoyed with things like um, 
modern, you know, voodoo and South American shamanic stuff where they're, this kind of exchange is happening. It feels real. It feels possible. But then again, if we allow our minds to agree that something is possible, and if we get agreement from others that something is possible, like we were talking about earlier with the patina on sacred objects or the patina on something, is something not possible? I mean, then it, it, it seems like it opens up a realm where we create a pathway where once maybe there was that whole dynamic of of cognitive dissonance, it couldn't exist. Our suspension of, you know, the suspension of disbelief has now happened. Where I believe this, I can communicate through portals, through whatever membranes that keep me isolated from the stuff I'm constantly swimming around, extra dimensional realities, all of this. Just a pondering. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Was that too out there? No, it wasn't. I was I was right with you. Um, just didn't know how to kick off again. Are we in Jerry's segment? Oh no, Jerry oh. and I. The oh. new the new Knox Minty is we both we both just chime in. I think uh, Jerry's having a snack. I don't have a segment. No, I'm not having a snack. I'm waiting till after. But we don't have segments. It's just Jerry talks when Jerry wants to talk um, or has something. <laughs> Make me sound like some kind of creepy overlord. No, I am out of questions. That's all. <laughs> he talks when he wants to talk from behind the curtain. <laughs> well, we did used to have like the we had it, the show separated. And we kind of kept Noxmente. Yeah, I did drive the second house, but that's not. Yeah. Now it's just kind of a flowing, organic conversation out of the first half. Yeah, and we're both totally in in verse with what it is now. So that's why there's a whole different feel here. But we should ask questions of our um, of our chat. Yeah, if I'm anyone not has there, any so questions or would like to call in and talk, that's fine. Let me know. But I had my Van Halen <clears throat> shout out to Darcy. Oh, no, Darcy's got to be there. Panama, Darcy's here. She's starving. Yeah, hot for teacher. That was the the comment I made. When motorcycle. When Kalindal was talking about this extreme with the teacher. Yeah. <laughs> so, do you have a regular succubus that that visits you, or just that one time or two yeah, times? I, I guess I'm a like a succubus like magnet. <laughs> yeah. You know, I bought you a. Better watch out if you invite me in. I bought a succubus <laughs> portal from this website called uh, Creepy Hollows. It's supposed to be like this this portal that allows succubi to like come in <laughs> whenever you want them to. I haven't seen any yet. Did it work? No. <laughs> okay. You guys surprised me with the the no wet. I love a wet dream, and they come to fruition for me. Now they don't happen enough, <laughs> um, but I I can't. I've never had been left with whatever girls call it. I don't know. Sputum? Uh, blue, blue ovaries. No, I mean blue oh, balls. Blue, like you guys get blue oh. balls. I, I was, um, someone asked me in chat about that. I was uh, an analog for females would be overworking your kegels. 
<laughs> well, whatever I've I come to fruition in my sex dreams, and when they happen, it's not like they happen all the time. But I love them. I've always found them super pleasant, and ironically, they usually aren't tied to a particular person. Like I, I'm not looking at like a a visage of someone. You know, it's not like who I'm, whomever I might find attractive, um, or whatever characteristics it it's um, always kind of something else. And then I'm having like this experience <laughs> for whatever reasons, but it's good. Pardon me? What do you mean by something else? Well, it doesn't necessarily, my sex dreams haven't always been like, I'm having like sex as we experience it here in, in this kind of waking state. Right. You never get off. You know, is what it is. You never get off good. It's like a, well, where it's like it, another person, Jerry. Yeah, yeah, it's like a baseline orgasm. It's a, I would call it a climax. <laughs> baseline. <laughs> yeah, it's like whatever is going on, it's just there's something, sec, a sexual component that somehow is triggering my physical body that's sleeping. Before and, I um, had ever had sex, intercourse, sexual intercourse, I would have sexual dreams, but I never had sex in my dreams. Because I, I had always thought that it was because I never had sex, so I didn't have the experience to, to draw upon for the dream. Mm-hmm. But I found that was really interesting, that I never really had a sex dream until I actually had sex. Or I never got to feel people's boobs till I felt boobs. You know? Yeah, that is what... It makes sense, though, right? Sure, and it, again, that talks total. about earlier stuff, it, what we experience. Yeah, it makes total sense. But I just adding it in since we're talking about sex dreams. But on that note, right, if so, this is this is what what I'm talking about is so if we don't experience things. If we don't experience something, we don't know what it is. So if we take that to the bigger level of of other entities, of other reality. We even if we're conceptualizing, like before you have sex, you conceptualize it, you you know, you can get an idea of what you think it is, but until you have it, you don't know what it is. How much of that is actually happening with us and the in the universe, the universe of possibilities? Well, it just means that anything can be happening at any time that you don't know about, right? And anything is possibly possible. Yeah, you're in a yeah, giant was, dark room. I was triggered to think of like the point of creation, the moment of creation, like before there had ever been a creation. Something had to conceive it, conceptualize it. The chicken and the egg, right? Yeah. And what is consciousness, concept, conceiving, you know, the the C-O-N-C, a conch. What's a conch? Or con is anti. Yeah, a con. (laughs) Oh, but then the C again, the hard C-H. I don't know, man. Like. It's all in the words, too, I find. Words tell a good story. Any questions, Jer? Um, If you have a succubus, how do you get rid of it? (laughs) That's a question. Clearly, I don't know that. (laughs) I don't know either. I would say it it depends on how it's bound to you. I already typed that in. But uh, if it's, uh, it depends on what kind of succubus it is, too. It could be something masquerading as a succubus. I don't know. Probably. Wow. 
It's passed. It's a lich. It's like... <laughs> I don't know why, but I keep thinking it's a gin. So, Mary, it might be a gin. In that case, put iron under your bed or your friend's bed, and it might go away. Maybe. Maybe. That's what they say. <laughs> That's it on the question. I have, a, I have a question. All right. So, okay, so on this event thing, there he was talking oh, about that. I've only just... I know, and I was only just... And I mean, the Allison Co video. Right. And then I realized, I didn't realize, I guess this whole time that Lisa Harrison's been talking about this forever. Um, I guess I didn't realize that was what she was getting at. And, and Lauda um, Leon and a bunch of other people have been. Right. But I, I, I guess I wasn't hearing it in that way. And that it was like something that was imminent and coming. And then Allison Co brings in all this stuff that's kind of based around a day or a month, like March we're in. Mm -hmm. And of course, which is always a, a super red flag for me, as Allison Co says in that video, by the way. Um, Even Lisa echoed the same sentiment. She's like, I don't like talking dates, but everyone keeps saying, you know, she's got March. Right. I love Lisa Harrison, and I really am I'm digging the Allison Co. I only watched that one video, but uh, and I, I love Lada. Lada filled in in crazy stuff that no one's been able to fill in for me of personal experiences I've had. Mm -hmm. that, you know, Jerry. Um, and so, what do you think? Kill? Are you are you up to verse on this whole thing? The galactic the wave, man. The DNA upgrades. I'm I'm pretty. I, I've heard it before. Most people have been talking about it, and and I've been about it in my own way since I've heard it. But I, I'm not sure what you mean by um, up to verse and, and what you would want to ask about it from there. Well, with all this stuff, like it amped up with this video that Allison Co put out. I think. And um, it certainly amped up for me via Jerry sending that to me and then putting together that, oh, my God, you know, Lisa's been talking about this and Danny's been talking about this and a lot of these people I, I enjoy. Um, and I somehow I wasn't making a dot connection there that that's what they were talking about, a DNA upgrade, that this is yeah. impending and happening and then it tied into the Paul Laviolette. Laviolette, Galactic Wave, and all this stuff kind of just hit me at once a couple weeks ago. So, but here we are in March 28th, right? Yeah. <laughs> and whereas, yes, I do feel like there's a whole bunch of stuff changing. I definitely feel, um, I'm definitely noticing differences in, in the environment as I'm perceiving it. Now, I don't know what that's due to. I, and anyone that listens to this show knows I keep a very open mind and I will listen to anything. And, um, but I, I don't know. And there certainly hasn't been an event that made me lay my ass down and have to breathe it out. And I haven't heard that that happened for anyone else. Else. And that's what the Allison Co. stuff was talking about, that it was on its incoming, happening, impending. And when, do you know when that date exactly is? Is it the 20 or is it before the 28th? Or? Well, they said like the first quarter of this year, right, Jer? Yeah, definitely. I'm sorry. I didn't know. I was not <laughs> muted. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, a lot of people said March, some said fourth quarter. I mean, it, it, but it's just a repeat of uh, the 2013, 20, 2012, all 
2012, it's, all it's that. It's like a giant time loop. I agree more with Lisa in that regard, that this feels like a, a redo. If you've listened to her latest thing, and I'll, I'll put a link in chat for everyone if you care. Um, she talks about how she thought that 2017 was like a replay of 2013 up to 2017 squished into one year. Did you hear her talk about that? No. It's no. not ringing a bell for me. Uh, it's an, I'm pretty sure it's the last one. Anyway, she said, you know, that they, that she felt that it was uh, those three years compressed down into last year. And it's happened again, and, la and all of that, plus last year, is now compressed into these three months, first quarter. Hmm. So she feels it like the time <laughs> is repeating, but getting shorter. The, the plot plays out. It's like, I think she was bringing up the idea that it was uh, unresolved business. So the, the record keeps playing till everyone gets a chair, if, as it were. Yeah. Faster and faster. <laughs> I, uh, I see it similarly, but a little bit different. Um, I kind of lost how I was going to explain that, though. It's, it's all good. It's uh, she's I got. Just, I mean, there's way more to what she talks about because she's been in contact with what she thinks is an AI. And uh, I just put the link in chat. Well, Niche. All right. Boom. Yeah, y'all got links. Oh. Yeah, you remembered? Oh, I, I remember. I remember now. I think people just take it so fantastically. Like the beginning of this year, I've my whole life has become like extremely hard pressed in a lot of different ways. But then at the same time, I found like romantic interest. I found success, you know. Uh, and so it's it's like they're looking for some supernatural event, but. It, these kinds of things come from the inside out. So I think that it would be like, just like dealing with your everyday reality, but it would be improving in terms of frequency, uh, you know, coping with it. You're having higher vibration experiences in all around, not just one area of your life. Cool. <laughs> All right. No one's got any extra any extra questions. Nobody wants to come on and say hi, so screw you all. No, I'm kidding. We still want our live call in. Somebody, please. No, no one has ever called in. That's please. okay. I'm I'm not cool enough for it. I'm surprised Failed hasn't. He seems like the perfect. He was in chat for a little bit. Anyway. Well, thanks everybody for joining us. We had a great show tonight. Thank you, Kalendal. Is there anything you'd like to uh, promote? Uh, no, not that I can think of, except for to not get too crazy with your beliefs. And yeah, totally. And just take it easy. Amen to that. Otherwise, yeah. Stay away from the blue chickens. Right. Yeah, be open. Be open. Be open, yeah. To like fake space stuff. 
<laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Kalindo, it was awesome. Long right. time coming. Thanks, dude. Pleasurable. Appreciate it. And thank you everyone thank for you listening and hanging with us in chat. You're the best live audience I've ever had. Uh, tune in next week. We have who's coming? Gordon Roop, author Gordon Roop. Uh, he's written a book. It's on Amazon. You can look it up. He's on Facebook and he's on like Fade, to, not Fade to Black, but he's in that crew. So it should be pretty interesting. He's totally into UFOs and aliens and stuff. So do blue chickens Ooh, lay eggs? I doubt it because they're not real. But they might lay virtual eggs. And then they become Tamagotchis and you got to carry them around. And Og's not here. Snish, not Og. Okay, anyway, sorry. Thank you all. Have a great evening and we'll see you next week. Bye.